You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, hey, good morning, Anthem Church. Good to be with you guys. My name's Stan. Uh, good to be on staff, pastor here. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Malachi. That's where we've been studying. We're going to continue that this morning. So Malachi will be primarily in chapter 3. And so as you guys open up there, again, I love uh, being a pastor of this church. I love being a husband to my wife, and I love being a father to my four beautiful children. And uh, man, this week was chaotic in our house. We had like kind of the, the crud going around, right? So I mean, runny noses, throw up, you know, all over your feet, that sort of deal. It was one of those weeks, but, but there's some highlightable moments. As a dad, one of the best quotes, I think, from this week was me telling one of my daughters, honey, you cannot tape food to your head, right? That's a true, like, snapshot. Like, she had, like, this cracker, like, taped to her head. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but kids are fun, and recently we went back to Iowa, uh, which is where Sarah's family's from, my family's from, and so we went back for Thanksgiving, and I kid you not, it's like a four and a half hour drive. We got the kids loaded up in the minivan, and uh, we're heading out of town, and we are just getting outside of city limits, and the question that comes from the back seat is, are we there yet? <laughs> I'm like, really? Like, are we, th- we we just left, you know, it's four and a half hours. Are we there yet? How much further? You know, and then you answer that. It's like, it's going to be a while, you know, and you make it to like Moberly. And it's like, are we there now? And it's like, no, you'll know. Like, does this look like grandma's house? No. Um, but again, now questioning, a kid questioning you, questioning their authority, it can be done in one of two ways. One way, you know, you can get those questions is, is from this genuine, respectful heart that's wanting to understand, like they're wanting to know how something works, or there's just a genuine like, no, dad, can you explain this to me, right? You can question like that, or the other way, which perhaps you're familiar with, is like that question and authority in like a whining, uh, not, not really considering the authority, but you're just like, are we there yet? You know, that tone, you know what I'm talking about? And I'm telling you, where we're at in Malachi For the first couple of chapters, God's people are talking to him in that, are we there yet, kind of tone. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're questioning God, the the creator of the universe. God's like, I've loved you. And like, really? How have you loved us? And there's this posture, right? And and so it's like the kid in the backseat. And finally, in, in chapter two, verse 17, kind of our transition verse, it's kind of like God's like, okay. I am pulling the car over, like enough, right? Somebody's going to get spanked up in here, right? And so in 2.17, you see this, it says, and it's on the screen, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, (laughs) again, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil, this is what they're saying to God, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. That's what they're saying. Those that do evil, God delights in, or by asking, where is God's justice? And again, you understand what they're saying here. Does does any of this really matter? If God's good, where is his justice? I really think God delights in evil, apparently. (laughs) God's like, whoa, we're pulling the car over, right? (laughs) Like, 
it reminds, I've never seen the movie, but I know the quote, it's like, the truth? You want the truth? You can't handle the truth, right? It's like, God's like, oh, you, you, wanna, you want my justice? Okay, we'll do that. And so we're gonna keep reading here in Malachi chapter three, and notice how God does not provide them with an answer. He provides them with the answer. I mean, they're asking kind of like these specific questions, and God's like, tell you what, I'm just going to provide you like the answer. And so here we are, is uh, the question is, well, where is God's justice? And he's going to zoom out from that, and uh, in Malachi chapter 3, we're going to see some prophecy that's going to be hundreds of years later, but he says in this, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so you see, right away, you see the word behold a couple times. Which again, that, that would say, pay attention, there's something significant here. And so what's God wanting us to pay attention to? And you see in, in verse one, the Messiah is coming. There's gonna be a messenger, but he's gonna prepare a way before the Lord. And so instead of providing an answer, God provides the answer. And so I just time out from our text a little bit. Are you like me and, and have some questions for the Lord at times? Like specific questions. For example, like, well, God, you know, why is this bad thing happening? Lord, why is this person I love sick? And these are legit questions, perhaps, right, for the Lord. Like, God, why this? Why this bad thing happen? And, and rarely, they're usually like the negative questions, like how much further kind of questions versus like, God, why am I just so blessed? Why did you give me such a beautiful wife? Like, rarely do you, I stop and ask those questions. Maybe you're better than me, right? Maybe you're like, that's all I ask God is like, how am I so richly blessed, right? I want to be like that. But typically, it's more of like the, the a little bit arms crossed, like, God, can you give me an account for, for why this is happening? And so here's the thing, is what if God answered that? Like, think about that. You ask that question, like, God, why this? If God answered that specific question, you know what you would have? All you would have is an answer. And you might not even like the answer. And like, again, if, if you read through Scripture, perhaps the book of Job rings a bell. Here's a, a guy that is righteous before God, but Satan and God are having a discussion in heaven. And God says, hey, have you considered Job? Maybe you should try and afflict him because Satan's like, well, he only loves you because he's blessed. And God's like, go ahead, just don't kill him. And, and now through that, that book, Job is like, God, why? God, why? God never answers that question specifically for Job. And think if he did. <laughs> he's like, well, Job, you know, the thing is Satan, we were having this conversation. And imagine if he explained that to Job. It's like, I... That doesn't make me feel any better, right? Like, if you got an answer to your question, all you would have is an answer. It wouldn't perhaps change the circumstance, nor it may or may not help your heart. 
But I, then I get it that that's the default is to want to get an answer. Instead of providing an answer, God provides the answer in this text. And it reminds me, as I think of, of Saul, who you know as Paul, his conversion in Acts 9. And up until this point, Saul was persecuting the church. And again, we've got it on the screen. So Acts chapter 9, again, look at the question that he asked. It says, but Saul, still breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. From where he's at, 300 miles on foot through Middle Eastern terrain. He hates the church that much where he's willing to go on foot and probably have these guys death march back so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, that is Christians who believe in Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what's he ask? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? Because if he gets an answer to that question, everything gets put in perspective. If he can get an answer from God in heaven to that question, who are you? The who puts everything else in perspective. And he does. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that changes things. The answer to that question, do you understand? Who, the answer to who radically goes from a guy who is persecuting the church to perhaps the greatest missionary of all time who would surrender his life serving the Lord whom he once persecuted. Oftentimes we're like, well, God, what about this? Why this? Who? Saul gets an answer to who, and it puts things in perspective. Getting an answer to who, and that's what it's provided here in Malachi, changes things. Instead of seeking answers, I propose that we would seek Jesus. In doing so, we get more than an answer. We get God. Get an answer, you get an answer. Seek God, and you might just get God. Here's how this personally applies to me. I remember I, it was probably four years into ministry when this really sat in for the first time. I was doing ministry in a larger church, had recently taken over uh, high school ministry kind of job, and it was uh, chaotic, to say the least. And, uh, you know, I was questioning at that point, four years into ministry and kind of pursuing ministry, um, a master's in theological studies. Sorry, that's popping. And I was considering, like, should I just quit ministry? Like, it was that bad, right? You got to understand. And it wasn't just, like, working with high schoolers. I... There were some probably fellow staff people that wanted me to quit as much as anyone else, right? Like, it was hard. <laughs> and uh, it get, I see Zoe empathizing with me. Hold, work with me here, Zoe. I remember one time leaving youth ministry, and is, this is Iowa, in kind of like the dead of winter, and here I am in this church, like shutting off the lights in this cold building, and I am just like so beside myself, just got corrected by some parent, just got corrected by some staffer, and I am just like 
genuine questions. I'm like, God, what, why this and what this? And I remember just like kind of walking and I got to like our info central, which was near the door. And I just got there and I'm pretty sure just broke down like crying and just asking God like these questions and looking at like it's snowing outside. I'm like, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to be here. Like, what do you do? And I just remember like, why? And asking those specific questions. And it wasn't audible, but it just as well, Ben, is God's like, hey, are we good? It's like, yeah, we're good. Well, chill out. <laughs> like, like, do you, are we good? Do you want me? Like, I'm telling you, <laughs> that changed things. And I, I never did get an answer as to why. Why in a thriving ministry, people coming to Jesus, things growing, why there was so much turmoil. But the reality is that cold winter day in the church alone, I wasn't alone. God met me there. And all of a sudden, it put things in perspective. And I went from kind of being gun shy, unwilling to take chances, but like, hey, you know what? Here we go. Does that make sense? It was this pivotal point where perhaps was going to leave ministry altogether and just check out. But instead of getting answers to those questions of why this, and guys, in some regards, if Job's any indicator, we might never get answers to those things. You get an answer, you get an answer. You get God, you get God. God is going to trump whatever answer you get. And I'm telling you, that's what he's giving them here in Malachi. Oh, you want to know why this, why this? Let me tell you, I am sending a Messiah put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? Like that changes things. It's like, you want to know, am I good? You want to know if I delight in evil? I'm telling you, I am sending a redeemer. You're talking about this little thing here. I'm talking, I am prophesying hundreds of years out where I will come in flesh, live a perfect life. And I'm going to send a messenger before. And again, so you understand here, prophesying of John the Baptist. It's kind of like the Macy's Parade. Maybe you have the Grand Marshal that kind of comes first, but then you have like the main attraction at the end. Here we go. We got the the Grand Marshal. John the Baptist is going to come before. He's going to be the messenger, a voice crying out in the wilderness. But Jesus is coming, the Son of God. And when he comes, verse 2, what's going to happen? But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. What's going to happen when the Messiah comes? What's going to happen when Jesus encounters these people, refinement. And he goes on to illustrate it a couple of different ways. And the refinement is simply put, it's the process of removing impurities or unwanted elements from a substance. And so he says, as in with gold or silver, right? When they pull those nuggets out of the ground, there's all sorts of other stuff with it. And so it goes through a refinement process. One of those steps is like, getting things really hot in order to burn off all the impurities so you're left with gold that's like 99.9% pure. And so through heat, through that challenge, you get rid of impurities. 
see where this is going, why he, he gives us this illustration. You're getting rid of impurities, and the product is becoming more pure. In fact, even when he says of fuller's soap, oftentimes this was a process in regards to wool, where they clean away the dirt and the oil. That's one property of this fuller's soap, specific mention here. But the other property of it, it was actually would make the wool more full, more thick. And so, again, you have getting away with impurities and making it better. And so he's saying that the day of refinement, when you encounter Jesus, it will be like that. Two things are going to happen when you encounter Jesus. Impurities are driven out, and simultaneously, you're made more pure, thicker, stronger. That's what happens when we are refined. Now, let me ask you. How pleasurable do you think that refinement process is going to be? Like you think about like gold going into the fire, getting heated up, right? Like that, it's beautiful on the back end, but the process of refinement is hard. Does that make, like, I want you to be prepared for that. Like the process of being refined is a, it is a challenge. And so, but here's the thing. Like, given that reality, what do you want to do? Because I, I don't know if you know this. Like, ain't nobody in here perfect, right? Like, that's why we're at church worshiping the one who was. And so, nobody in here, if, if you have that, see me during communion. We'll talk why Jesus died, right? Nobody is, nobody is a finished product on this side. We all need to be more like Jesus. We need to be refined, but that process is one that's challenging. I don't know if it takes a whole lot of maturity to delight in having somebody chisel away at you in those ways. But here's the thing. What are you going to do? One thing that I've seen people do is like, that's, I, that hurts too much. I'm just not going to be refined. And it's hard, but it's the reality. It's why I'm not going to lean into that. Like, that doesn't seem fun. That doesn't seem pleasurable. So I'm just not going to be refined. You could do that, but I would beg you, like, you're, you're not going to be as usable had you gone through the refinement process. And so leaning into that, are you willing to be refined? And oftentimes, I was meeting with a guy this morning, oftentimes that refinement process, like if I'm like, what sharp edges do you have that need to be chiseled off? Y'all aren't ignorant, right? Like maybe some of it's a plank in the eye where you can't see it, but for the most part, you're like, my anger, overcompetitiveness, insecurity, you know, like, you know some of those edges. Oftentimes, guys, it's, it's as if there's like a 500-pound gorilla, like, locked in this cage, in this little room that you're in. You're like, maybe if I don't look at the gorilla, maybe it'll just go away. Maybe he doesn't exist. Oftentimes, like when I go to like shepherd people, it's like, I just, I, what, what are you talking about? And oftentimes this refinement process, not to mix metaphors, but it's as simple as unlocking the gorilla's cage and be like, you two need to wrestle it out. And I'm telling you, I feel like as a pastor, I'm just a professional cage unlocker. It's like, hey, it seems like you're not loving your spouse very well. Why don't we talk about that? And it's not, I mean, the Holy Spirit's already convicted you long before I got there. I was just 
willing to like unlock it and watch a fight take place, right? Like as you do, as you wrestle with it, it's the, the process, that's maturity. Maturity is the person that is humble enough to acknowledge what is there and say, you know what, I'm gonna wrestle with that. It's a sign of immaturity and defeat when God's people, believers say, well, I just, I'll never be able to do this. I'll just, I'll just give up. I'm just gonna leave this gorilla here. Man, coming out of college ministry, that was the hardest thing for me is to see guys just accept like, well, I guess I'm just gonna be impure. I guess that's just how it's, really? Like God has given us his spirit to live and dwell within us and we're just gonna roll over like that? Man, invite you, church, that we would do battle as God's people encountering Jesus, that we would allow ourselves to be refined. That's what should happen, given the text, that's what should happen when we encounter Jesus. And if we're unwilling to be refined, what does that say about us and what does that say about our Savior? The role is he's gonna sanctify us. That's just, on this side of heaven, that's how, and we partner with God in that process. God lays the conviction on our heart and we need to meet him in that. And so sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, the process of being refined, that's the Christian word, sanctification, we partner with God in that. To be more holy, to be pure as he calls us to and he's saying, that's what happens when you encounter Jesus, is you're gonna become more like him and less like the flesh in the world. But specifically in the text, our text today, it, it, in regards to refinement, it's talking about the day of his coming. And on that day, he's gonna purify the sons of Levi. And so it's not so much sanctification as it is, another Christian word, ready? Glorification. Glorification, by definition, is on that day when Jesus calls us home or when he comes here, that we're made perfect. Right? So sanctification is the process of becoming holier, but glorification is a day, the day of his coming, when we're instantaneous made perfect in the sight of God. Because when we are in God's kingdom, his presence, he can't, our sin can't survive his presence. The dirt, the impurities, like when we go to heaven, it's not like we're gonna be bringing that baggage with us. We have to check that out the door. God is a God of light, and so in him there is no darkness in his presence. It's driven out. No weeping, no hurt, no pain in heaven. And so that day of judgment that is coming for God's people will bring about glorification. It's just this beautiful thing. And so it says in John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Glorification, this is what he's talking about. This day when Jesus comes, and I can't imagine like the song that came out right when on Christian radio that was so overplayed. I can only imagine. Yeah, does it make sense? You know what I'm talking? Not joining the worship team anytime soon, but like, and then it goes like, "Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah?" You know what I'm talking about, right? You've heard the song. As overplayed as it was, it really does provoke. Like I don't, I can't imagine what it will be like on that day where Jesus comes back or we go home and you're in God's presence 
And I, I, we just took the girls to the farm. It's like, ooh, horse, ooh, four-wheeler, ooh, like tractor. Like they just, that's the farm, right? Like it's not even that cool of a farm, but, but they're just 100 miles an hour. And I, I, I can't imagine, but eternity with God in his goodness, what will that be like? Again, I, I fear that a small view of God is like, well, I hope there's good golf courses in heaven. Do you know why heaven's going to be awesome? Because God is there. God. Like, that's what we should be looking forward to, is, is God will be there. I think my head will explode, you know, in that to be with God, who is so, so huge and awesome and wonderful. And so glorification on that day, we'll be there. And so for those who are in Jesus, we face fire that leads to our refinement here, which will ultimately lead to our glorification, where we stand perfect with Father in heaven. Okay, so we face that kind of refining fire. But those who are not in Jesus face fire too. That's one of a completely different kind. In verse 5, That end of it is the day of judgment. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness. Who's the judgment for? Against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, uh, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. For those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts, Those who are not cleansed and purified by the grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, they will face judgment. Those who spend their earthly life saying, I don't want anything to do with God. God in his goodness will not force that upon them for eternity. I mean, that makes logical sense, right? It would be wrong of a guy to pursue a girl and the girl say, no, I do not want you. No, I do not want you. It would be wrong for the guy to then thrust himself on the girl and say, no, you will marry me. God is a good God. If He is not gonna force someone for eternity to be with him in his presence. And so for those who do not pursue God here, there will be a day of judgment. And oftentimes, you know, you hear this phrase said by people like, well, only God can judge me. And it assumes that, that God is not gonna judge them right? Only God can judge me. Perhaps you've heard that phrase said by people. It's like, you know he will judge you, right? Clearly in this text, we say that he will draw near for a day of judgment. Don't, don't mistake, I'll swear in scripture, says, don't mistake the mercy of God, the slowness of that as weakness because God's judgment is coming. And so we want God to draw near to us, be close to us. But if you're not in Jesus, his drawing near to you will bring judgment. His presence and nearness will be your destruction if you are not in Jesus. If you do not have Jesus, you do not want God near you. If you have him, great. Get Jesus near you because it's going to lead to your refinement. But for those that do not have Jesus, they will face Eternal hell, apart from God. 
And you think, well, that's, this is the Old Testament. God's more fire and brimstone there. Thankfully, like the New Testament, God is more unicorns and rainbows and things of that nature. Please keep reading in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Again, our text doesn't directly answer the original questions. God, why this? God, why that? We don't get an answer. We get the answer. The Messiah is coming. Does that make sense? And so, how do we respond? I want to take time to elaborate on something we do quite often here, which is communion. And the reason, this is celebratory for us as believers, because Jesus, with his disciples, before he would go to the cross, sat down with them and broke bread, the Lord's Supper. He said, take this bread. It's a sign It's not the actual physical body by any means, but it represents Jesus' body being broken. The cup represents his blood that was shed. And for us, that is good news because it's through Jesus dying on a cross, taking the punishment that we deserve, that we can be forgiven. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ endured the judgment of God and was found perfect, righteous, innocent. And Jesus, for those that would put their trust in him, is willingly took the punishment we deserve, substituted himself so that we can be forgiven. And it's a joyous thing to celebrate and remember. As you just reflect, and and I'm gonna invite the band up but I just want you to reflect on, on what has been done. And so as we celebrate communion, what that looks like here is the band's gonna play and you can just make your way to communion table. And again, this is for those that would say, my trust is in Jesus. My hope is in him. I do not fear fire of refinement and certainly I don't fear the, the fire of judgment because God has not spared his son, but has spared us, uh, spared us through his son and forgiven us. And so this is for those that their trust is in Jesus to do in remembrance of him. And so as the band plays, in your own time, there's communion tables, uh, one on either side and certainly one in the back. Make your way over, break off a piece of bread, and you can dip it in the cup. And then I just want you to ask, are you willing, Christian, in light of what God has done, to continue to be refined, to continue to be made into his image? And I'm telling you, Proverbs talks about wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy multiplies kisses. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's going to be a little bit challenging as we encounter Jesus but as a church, we said, unashamedly, that's what we want. Does that make sense? If, you, <laughs> if you're new here and you're like, I just wanted to come like, to some place for like an hour and 15 out of a week. An hour would be better, but you guys a little long-winded. So an hour and 15, I'd give you that. And that's kind of the box that I want to keep God in. I just, I want to love you enough to tell you this, it's going to be uncomfortable. 
because we want to open our Bibles and study and be refined by Jesus. Does that make sense? What's your other option? Is to just continue life, living out of the flesh, kind of living as the world does. And so we want to be sanctified. Do you want that? And if so, as we go and think about Jesus laying down his life for us, take communion in remembrance and again, surrender and say, God, will you continue to refine me? And as some of you go, maybe the application for today is that 500 pound gorilla that you're like, I probably need to stop ignoring that and allow myself to be sanctified. Does that make sense? Allow myself to be chiseled, to be sharpened, because again, communicating the right things, none of us have arrived that the process of encountering Jesus is gonna be humbly becoming more like him. So I wanna pray for us as the band kind of starts up. And uh, God, we do. We just invite you to draw near to us in this time. God, would you challenge us? Would you shape us? We just want to be conformed. We want to be refined, to be made usable for you, that we would be a light in dark places. And so, Lord, we just acknowledge that this life is but a mist here today and gone tomorrow. And so whatever challenge this refinement is, Lord, we want to embrace it. We want to endure it. And so, God, would you challenge us through the community that is in this church? Would you challenge us as we pray, as we read your scripture? And would you make us more like you? God, we open ourselves up to that. Again, for your glory. And thank you, God for making a way to draw us home through Jesus Christ, through his body broken, his bloodshed. And so God, thank you for making a way for us through Jesus. And it's a joy to celebrate and remember that in communion. We pray this in the name of Jesus.